0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. If you're new to our church, my name is Dave. It's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here. And uh, if you're just joining us recently, we're beginning a new series this year to, to kick off the year. We're talking about how we can have life-changing conversations with people who are currently far from God. And we're saying it that way because when we talk about things like evangelism, uh, I think too often there's a lot of baggage that's negative attached to that idea. Uh, Some of us have been on the receiving end of misguided or clumsy evangelism. Some of us have been pushed out the door, being told to go to shopping malls and knock door to door in situations that were unwelcome to us and ended up not bearing a lot of fruit. And so I want to make sure we understand. When I say life-changing conversations, it's not like just chit-chat. I mean really life-changing conversations where words of truth are shared between two people that lead to a life change. And I believe God wants us to have conversations like that with people. Not just with people who are far from God, but even people who we call brother and sister in the church. I think we need to have more meaningful conversations with other human beings. And so we're continuing along in that series. And this morning, we're talking about what it means to pray in the midst of and pray for life-changing conversations to happen. We're going to draw from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. i want to read those verses with you. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. That's the Word of God. There's this phenomenon known as crowd surfing. Are you familiar with it? And sometimes as members of the audience, quite often it's nowadays performers themselves just diving into the audience for a much more intimate, up-close and personal sense of contact with the crowds that have come to hear them perform. This happens to be Kevin Hart at the 2012 MTV Music Awards. I never dreamt that Kevin Hart would end up on the title slide of one of my sermon decks, but that's the humorous side of God. And I just love the way this photo was shot. And there's something about this concept of laying on top of a crowd of people while they carry you along on uplifted hands. And they're able to do because everybody's sharing only a fraction of your weight. And so it's like being on water, but you're really floating on a current of human hands raised up. And there's something about that idea that has always reminded me of this passage. And of this idea that many of us, in fact, maybe we could argue most of us, found our way to God, riding on the currents of other people. None of us walked on our own legs to find God, but other people carried us along until we found ourselves in his presence. You know, neither evangelism nor prayer, intercessory prayer anyway, is is figuring into this particular story very overtly. You don't see it as a story about evangelism or prayer, and yet I think this story of the men lowering their paralyzed friend through a hole in the roof, it is a perfect metaphor for what evangelism and intercessory prayer really are all about. And so I want to look at this familiar story, and when I say story, I don't mean fiction. I mean this particular account in the actual historical life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I want to look at it through the lens of leading other people to know Jesus Christ in a saving relationship. And I want to make two observations from this passage this morning. And the first is that when we pray for people who are far from God, what we're doing is tapping into a source of power for the powerless. We're tapping into a source of power for the powerless. At this stage of Jesus' ministry, he was enjoying tremendous popularity, and everywhere he went, word of his reputation as a healer and a teacher would precede him. And before he even made it into town, the rumor mill had already worked its magic, and people had formed large crowds lining up and down the street. We saw that last week with Zacchaeus and how the crowds in Jericho had lined the streets. And here again, <coughs> excuse me, as he's entered Capernaum, <coughs> which is a place that he was from, really, like he, he spent a lot of time there, he had come home. And already as he enters town, there's a house waiting for him, and he's going to go there. It's his speaking gig, and he's giving the word of God, and the place is standing room only. Now, here's what we know about Jesus that the reputation he had was both as a teacher and a healer. You could say a lot of other things about him, but one thing was undeniable. This man had power. When he spoke, when he touched people, there was an undeniable transferring of real power that took place whenever Jesus showed up. And that's why the crowds came. Because people feel powerless and they are desperate for something that feels real. Now, maybe you're powerful in a lot of areas of your life, but chances are there's one part of your life somewhere where you truly feel powerless, where no matter how many good things you hear, how many people encourage you, how many convictions you receive in your heart, you feel powerless to conquer this particular part of your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a goal, a dream you have that you want so badly to pursue, but every time you start It's a dud. It sputters out. And you get so frustrated with yourself, people everywhere feel powerless in some way. And when someone with real power is in our presence, we're so drawn to that because hope is real. And we desperately want someone with more power than us to touch that part of our lives where we lack power. Interesting thing about power is different kinds of power are required for different kinds of work there are certain kinds of work that financial power will take care of there are certain kinds of work where intellectual power will carry the day or artistic power will take you very far but this man lacked spiritual and medical power he had come upon a hard ceiling on the limit of his own power. He desperately wanted to walk, but there was nothing left he could do on this earth to take care of that problem. We don't know much about this man. He may have been very wealthy, he may have been very intelligent, he may have been very well-connected, but none of those things would help him in this matter of paralysis. Let me show you a photo that might illustrate this. It's a couple of photos, actually. I don't know if you can see this, But last night, Elijah's travel basketball team played a team with a, I don't mean this in a derogatory, but he was a mutant. This This guy was a giant. He's an eighth grader who was 6'6 and 250 pounds. Seeing him, everyone was calling him baby Shaq. Seeing him, every parent was like, we want to see a birth certificate. This dude has been held back at least eight grades or something because he's humongous. And the coach looked at him and said, there isn't a single guy on our team who can tip off against him in the opening jump. So just to prove the point, he asked Elijah, the shortest kid on the team. <laughs> and the other guy was just laughing. And you can see i mean, Elijah, he's like this, and he's, his top of his head is at this guy's belt. When the, when the ref threw up the ball, the other guy didn't even jump. Look, he's got like a zero vertical. <laughs> this, is, this is it right here. And he's reaching up, and Elijah, just no chance whatsoever. I'm showing you this picture for a reason. First, because it's hilarious. (laughs) The ref came by the scorer's table where I was sitting and uh, basically went, now I've seen everything, (laughs) and he's cracking up. Now, Elijah had no chance, which was the point. There wasn't a guy on the team who could do anything there. Elijah was hands down the fastest ball player on the floor yesterday on both teams there wasn't a kid faster but speed had nothing to do with this particular problem see you might have some kind of power in your life but i will bet you that the stuff that really bugs you that eats away at you all the power you already have isn't going to take care of that issue Because even while we're powerful, we're powerless. That is what it is to be human. That there are things that matter to you, that your money, your quick wit, your intellect, your well-connectedness, none of that stuff will take care of the issue that plagues your heart. And for this particular man, just like for so many people who are far from God, they feel powerless to rise to the things that happen to them. In life, I think this man's friends really understood this and they loved him. And sensing that this guy was in a desperate and hopeless situation, when they heard a great healer was coming to town, they got it in their heads by faith that this Jesus had power to help their friend. And it says that they brought him to Jesus because they knew in faith that Jesus was actually going to be able to do something. For their friend, what they thought was a hopeless and utterly powerless situation, they knew by faith that Jesus didn't see it that way, that he would not be as as paralyzed as this man was. He would not be as powerless as their friend had been for all his life. <clears throat> they didn't know much, but they knew this: if you're powerless, go to where the power is. If you're powerless, go to where the power is. We know this instinctively in business. Nobody spends a lot of time schmoozing people who are under them. You spend all your time schmoozing the people who are above you. You climb a ladder, you don't climb down a ladder. And that's the truth in the spiritual realm as well. That if you are powerless, it is wisdom to go where the power is. I believe that's what prayer for others really is. It's connecting people who are powerless to the infinite, ultimate source of power. It's been wisely said, I don't know who said this, but it said, when people work, people work. But when people pray, God works. I know most of us are of the Asian persuasion, And right now, this is the Asian way of saying amen is... (laughs) But when you read something like that, do you you agree with that statement? Do you think that's true? Because this really convicts me. And it convicts me because I'm not sure I really believe that. I mean, I believe it up here. But when I look at the way I do ministry... I'm not entirely convinced that I truly believe this. And I'm just confessing that to you. I spend a lot of energy working at ministry. I burn the midnight oil. Not always by choice. Some of you get emails from me at 3.30. That's for real, man. I'm like, up. Oh, this is seriously messed up. I put in the hours. I put in the sweat equity. what I'm learning now in my midlife is that that really matters for very little. It's important to have a good work ethic. Don't get me wrong. I don't think God blesses lazy people. But the way we work reveals where we truly think power comes from. And I think the people and the churches that understand that God is the source of power pray at least as much as they work. This is something that has been my prayer now for the last year for our church and for me personally, that we would stop being a hardworking, program-rich, impressive church and we would start to become a sprawled-out-on-the-floor, lying, prostrate, utterly open-handed, depending on crying out to God kind of church. I think in our first 20 years, God has shown his faithfulness. We've also proven what people can do when they set their minds to something. In the next 20, I want to prove to the world what God does when people get out of the way and utterly depend on him. Amen? Pastor R.A. Torrey, one of the great evangelists and revivalists of American church history, wrote these words. They are very convicting words. He said, the most important human factor in effective evangelism is prayer. Every great awakening in the history of the church from the time of the apostles until today has been the result of prayer. There have been great awakenings without much preaching. Ouch. And there have been great awakenings with absolutely no organization. Double ouch. But there has never been a true awakening without much prayer. That really, really messes with me as a pastor. Because if I drew a pie chart of the way my hours and my energy are spent, it was so convicting this week as I pulled up this quote, I really wished I hadn't read it. It took all of my humility to put this slide on this deck. (laughs) Because when I see it, it indicts me as a pastor, and I'm begging God to change me. Because I think I spend more time preparing the sermon and tidying up the organization of our church than I do in prayer. And I think the way we feel spiritually speaks to that. And I am repenting very openly in front of you, my church, that I don't want that to be true of my ministry anymore, and I don't want it to be true of our lives. It is no small thing to talk to someone who is far from God and hope that they will see the beauty and the hope that God brings to us. That is not a small thing that we're attempting It is not an act of salesmanship or persuasion. It is nearly an impossible endeavor. And that's why I I really love this quote uh, from a book by Pastor Rick Richardson, a great evangelist of our time. He said, before we can talk to people about God, we need to talk to God about people. Tim Downs, in his excellent book from the, the 90s, or I'm sorry, the 80s, called Finding Common Ground, tells a modern-day parable of a farmer who loves the joy of harvest time. He loves gathering crops, so that's the only time he ever works is at harvest time. He doesn't plow his fields. He doesn't sow seeds. He just loves gathering the harvest. And one day he realizes that at harvest time, no crops are coming up. And the soil is very hard and rough, and he wonders, what's going on? Why is it so hard to draw a crop, a harvest, out of this field today? And of course, the point of that parable is, if you don't break up the hard ground, if you don't sow seeds, there will not be a harvest. The ground will be barren because we have not been active in the work that precedes the harvest. We so often frame evangelism as closing the sale, of coming up to people and saying, look, do you want to make a decision? But the truth is, in America, it's no secret that anti-Christian sentiment is very much on the rise. People don't like us or our faith very much. And that closed-off spirit to the gospel is no mystery. The hard soil of the American spirit is hard because we have not broken the ground with a plow of prayer. How will people be receptive to a message that the Holy Spirit has not been breaking the soil of their hearts As we cry out for people, God, it is not our words that will save, but it is your spirit. Jesus himself said as much. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. Do you hear that? It's not like people are going, well, I'm just waiting for a good argument to be made. And then that'll tip the scales and I'll come right over. The barrier to faith is not intellectual persuasion because knowing the truth is never enough to change a heart. <clears throat> Listen, every lazy person knows that you got to work hard to make it in this world. Every out of shape person knows you got to eat right and exercise. Every parent knows you can't beat your children and have good kids. We know all of these things, and yet year after year, knowing doesn't change us. There is something stubborn called the human heart that has a switch buried very deep down at a layer I can't even flip on for myself. If I could, I would stop being insomniac. I would have better sleep hygiene. I would stop drinking coffee after 6 p.m. I do all those things, but I'm stubborn as a As a mule. I want to change, so help me God. I want to change, but I don't do anything that I need to change because the heart is stubborn, and until that switch deep down that's buried inside is flipped supernaturally, I'm going to know everything I'm doing wrong, and I'm going to be powerless to change. And if losing weight or getting a salary increase or having well-rounded kids is that much of a challenge, can you imagine What an impossible task it is to completely change the way a person views reality and eternity. Do you think that's just going to happen because they got the facts right? I don't. I believe for a person to come to Christ, something profound and deep down has to happen so that they will hear the gospel, hear the gospel, hear the gospel, and one day they will believe it. It's what happened to me. I grew up in the church from the earliest time that I could remember anything. I was in the church. But it wasn't until I was 17 that I was saved by the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That day, God reached in and flipped a switch I couldn't flip on for myself. And just like that, just like that, I knew Jesus Christ. And when we pray for people, that is what we're doing, is we're saying, God, there is something that has to be turned on that all the great arguments, the addressing of every doubt, the countering of every objection is not going to take them over the edge. If I don't pray, that that powerlessness will never meet your power. And a person cannot come to Jesus through persuasion alone. Please don't give up apologetics. The Bible clearly says to us, God says to us, be ready to make a defense. You don't have to commit intellectual suicide to be a Christian. But at the end of the day, Jesus doesn't lie. Nobody comes to him except that the Father should open their hearts and the eyes of their hearts to who Jesus is. So when we pray, that's exactly what we're doing. We're tapping into power for the powerless. Let me make a second observation from this text. When we pray for people, we're giving them the gift of our faith to the faithless. Intercessory prayer is a gift of faith to those who don't have it. I'm amazed at the love and commitment of this cripple man's friends. And you've got to understand that's no small thing because a crippled man in those days was a a homeless and unemployed man most of the time. He's the guy you kind of walked around and hoped you didn't trip over his collection jar. Nobody gave that guy any credence, any dignity in society because he had no power. There was nothing he could offer you. So what an extraordinary thing that this discarded and powerless man has friends so deeply committed to him. This is a picture of gospel grace that every one of us has been loved by someone whose love we didn't deserve. I mean, that's the story of our lives. This man's friends would not allow any obstacle to get in the way of their mission. They were on a mission from God, pretty literally. They were going to get their friend healed no matter what. And you know how it is when you think the meeting starts at 12 and you get there at 11.50 and you realize everyone else came at 10.50, they were waiting in line, they got the good seats, and you know, it's a a drag when you get to a place and you realize everyone else is smarter than you, all the good seats are taken, there's no room, and this was standing room only, they could not break in, and most people when they see a large crowd, they're discouraged, they walk away. You know, when you get to a movie theater and the line is around the corner, you're like, you know, forget it, I don't need to see this movie that bad. I will just wait for the next showing. This guy's friends were like, forget it, we're going to get there. And they try to shove through a lot of dirty looks, a lot of elbows, no dice. So when they couldn't get through the crowd, they went over the crowd, they walked up the stairs to the roof, and they're like, okay, good. We're past the crowds, but Jesus is in there, and we're up here on the top. So what do they do? They now engage in property damage, and they should just start breaking this dude's roof. The roof was made of clay and and stuff like that. So as they started crashing through, it made a hole. I'm sure the people underneath, Jesus like, what's going on up there? And dust is coming down, debris is coming down. And all of a sudden, a big ray of sunlight pops through. And there's a hole, and some dude's going, what's up, Jesus? And they make the hole big enough, and they lower this guy. And everyone's giving him really dirty looks now. Like, who does that? Who goes to a stranger's house and starts breaking the roof? so they can get their buddy into the presence of the guest of honor. Wait in line like everybody else. He's going to sign, you know, autographs and books and stuff after the meeting. Why did you just wait like everybody? They were desperate because they understood if they missed this chance, their friend may not have a chance. And they're lowering him through the roof, and I'm amazed at the commitment that these people show. In fact, I'll bet you they had to pay for the damages afterwards. I would have made them pay, like, That's great. What a wonderful story. Now, about my roof. 700 bucks. I got to get it from you. And as they lower this, this paralyzed man down to Jesus, Jesus sees their faith and is amazed. What part did the paralyzed guy play? He just laid there and got lowered down. I mean, his part was easy. Oh. That's his contribution to the whole process. I'm just going to uh, lay here. These guys did all the heavy lifting, and Jesus sees their faith, and he meets this man in the place of his need. I believe that our unshakable conviction that God can reach anyone is one of the greatest gifts we can give to people who are far from God. Because the thing is, a lot of people who are far from God, they stop believing God would ever have them. They've given up on themselves, and they've given up on God. They've resigned themselves to a life that is not spiritual, that is not free, that is not redeemed. But they say things like, it is what it is. It's as good as it gets. This is just my life. I don't want to expect too much because then I'll be disappointed. I don't want to get my hopes up. Why would God want a dirty person like me? We all said that at some point. Some of us are still saying it. But the gift we give to people is that as long as God lives, lost is never a permanent situation. I have this weird quirk in my personality that when someone has lost something, I don't, I don't want to spiritualize and say I have the spiritual gift of the evangelist because I don't think that's true. I just think I'm a little weird up here. When someone misplaces something, I can't concentrate on anything else. I obsess a lot over lost stuff. And even though it's not my thing, the person's like, all right, take it easy. I, it's just a barrette. I don't need I can go to a store. But no, I need to find it because once it's lost, I got to find it. And I want to share with you a story that happened last week We were dinner guests at Chris and Shin's house, and as sometimes happens over the course of the dinner conversation, a weird thing was mentioned. Chris said, yeah, you know, about five years ago, I lost my wedding ring down the air conditioning vent on the floor of our bedroom. I was taking it off. I'm not sure why he was taking it off, but taking it off, and then he saw it fly out of his hand, and like in slow motion, it was rolling, rolling, and you know, he's not as quick as he used to be in his younger years, and he was like... And he reached for it and too late it rolled right through the vent down and he heard it rolling down the duct so he reached down, tried to find it, nothing but dust bunnies and after about five minutes or whatever, I don't, I don't know how long he, he tried, he gave up <clears throat> and he said, yeah, it's one of those things where I'm always going to know that my ring is somewhere down there, I don't know where but it's down there, I just gave up on it I resigned myself to the fact that it's gone and I bought a new ring So he's wearing a ring, but it's not the original ring. And you know, you know the difference, right? It's still, that's the one that she put on my finger at our wedding day. Well, I heard that story, and the obsessive OCD in me kicked out. I'm like, uh uh-uh. No way that ring's staying lost. So we went straight from the table up to his bedroom. I took off the register cover and... I'm rooting around, and I got there's screws you know the, you know, the ductwork is put together by screws I'm getting cut up all over but I had to find this ring I felt like golem like my precious we're going to get that ring so I stick my phone down there turn on the flash take a picture and I'm like hey Chris I found it he's like no you didn't it's not down there oh you have little faith and I showed him the picture he goes that's not her. A- yes it is look <laughs> look at it I mean, it had rolled like a tire just right there against the vent. So then I'm like, give me a wire hanger. This is going to happen tonight. <laughs> I unraveled the wire hanger. I'm, I'm up to my shoulder, scraping around, and it was just out of reach. This was like five feet down the duct. I'm like, oh, I almost got it. I almost got it. And he had gone downstairs to tell Shin and the others, Oh, he, he, he's actually seen it in the picture. You should, and then he, while he's downstairs, he heard me talking and struggling through the vent. He's like, it sounds like he's right there. And he realized there's another vent on the first floor that connects right there. You see that little passage? Well, on the other side, it is a vent. So he goes to where that vent is that my voice is coming out of, and he reaches up. <clears throat> and three inches outside of where that duct was, there's the ring just putting. Per- Got it, right there. And he showed his wife, and look at the joy that filled that house that evening. That's joy. What was lost has been found. How amazing that God allowed that story to unfold this past week. What a lesson for me. That you write things off as lost forever. And they're not. If I, a sinful human being, can obsess over a piece of jewelry that doesn't even belong to me, do you think that our Heavenly Father would discard a lost child so casually? He's just a kid. I got seven billion others down there. Do you think a father could ever feel that way about one of his kids? He will not rest. As long as he lives, he is in hot pursuit. That person is being pursued, and lost is not lost as long as God lives. Do you understand that? We don't write people off as lost forever because that's simply not true. And if we have faith in a God who is relentlessly in pursuit of his lost children then the gift we give in intercessory prayer is the gift of our faith to people who have given up even on themselves and given up on God. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's woundedness. Maybe a person has been so scarred they stopped trusting anyone years ago. You know, these barriers to faith are serious. It's like a form of spiritual paralysis. There are a lot of people who have such deep scar tissue on their soul that no matter how many sermons they hear, on their own power, they will not be able to get to Jesus. They've tried, and they've failed, and they've given up, and they're far from God seeing themselves as lost causes. But we can give them the gift of our faith when they have lost faith. Not because we believe in them, not because we believe in our message but because we, we believe in the relentless love of God the Father who does not casually dismiss a missing child. At 17, I came to know the Lord. At 24, I was called into ministry. At 32, I became the senior pastor of this church. Those are massive spiritual milestones for me on my journey with christ and at each one of those i cannot take a shred of credit this is a journey i've been on but not because i'm a self-made man of god from the time i was born my paternal grandmother held me in her arms and prayed ceaselessly for my future She knew that I would have a spiritual destiny, and she refused to accept a mediocre one. And she prayed that I would belong fully to Jesus Christ before I even knew how to form a word. From the earliest age, my mother and father have covered me in prayer every single day of my life. Since the late 70s, my younger brother who came to faith years before I did, prayed that his idiot big brother would stop acting a fool and come to Jesus. He was so discouraged by me. He was so brokenhearted because we were so close growing up and he could not share this with me. And he prayed hard for me. I met a girl in college named Jeannie. She went on to become the wife who shares Kit Kats with me. I don't even like Kit Kats that much, but she has always prayed for me so faithfully. And I'm looking out of the room, and I know that so many of you pray for me. So when I look at these landmarks in my life, I cannot take the credit because just like a, a crowd surfer, I have not come here by myself. I have been carried along on the uplifted hands of many who have been praying for me from the day I was born. And I know this is the story of your life too. Many of you can say the same thing. Even in your worst moments of doubt and apathy, how is it you've come to still stay anchored to your faith no matter how thin that string got? It wasn't your resolve. It wasn't your itiveness It was the grace of God responding to the prayer coverings of others who loved you and have not stopped battling for you. Every one of us, our journey is not the story of us. It's the story of everyone who has loved us. And it's the story of God who loves us most. Isn't that your story too? Who is praying for you so that you are carried to Jesus? And who will you now pray for so that you will be one more set of hands, carrying them like a current straight to the feet of Jesus Christ? I'm going to channel Pastor Seth once again. I'm going to close with two life applications. And the first is to pray personally. Personally. I think that one of the most soul-deadening practices is generic prayer. I used to have this huge journal, this grid that I made of all these people I was praying for, my personal friends, my my church friends, my colleagues in ministry, missionaries. I had this whole grid, leaders, and I had lists all the names and every day I would just pray like this, Lord, be with Chris. Lord, be with Michael. Lord, be with Jared and be with Frank. And well, I don't even know what that means when I just be with, be with. I, basically, what I was doing is the daily discipline of saying names out loud. <laughs> that kind of generic one size fits all prayer, I think it deadens the spirit. Because it's a way of going through the motions, treating people like to do list items or like projects. Forgetting that the person I'm praying for is actually living a real life with a real story that's unfolding, and they need a real Jesus in the midst of real situations. And if we're attentive, if we're really listening to the stories people are telling us about the journey, the twists and turns of their life, it will equip us to pray for them in very specific ways. To not just pray, be with them, because I think Jesus is saying back to us, be with them where? What? 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 I don't know. <laughs> just be, I don't know anything about their story. There's just a name next on the list in my journal. So be with them. Duh. You're God. I, you know everything. I think the more we attend to people, the more their story presses down like a burden on our hearts and equips us to pray to God in ways that, in fact, here's the great gift of prayer is that we do for people what they may not even know to do for themselves. We invite Jesus into the situations in their life. I'll tell you right now, a non-Christian who needs Jesus will never think to ask Jesus for help. Their wife is about to leave them. They're in a panic. They don't know how to make that flame of love flicker again. They feel like a caged animal running all around. How do I make this woman stay with me? They need Jesus because that wife, her heart is beyond his reach or anyone else's. What do we say to that man? We know he needs Jesus, but he doesn't know that's who he needs. Hearing that story, being burdened for him, I pray specifically Jesus. He doesn't even know to call on you. But he and his wife need you. And I will pray that into his life. Like I'm fighting for someone who doesn't know how to walk to him on his own legs. And when I pray that specifically and that personally, it allows me to follow up with them in very personal, meaningful ways. And it fuels my love and commitment for that person. I find that the people I pray for most diligently are the people I'm growing to love most committedly. Let me give you a second life application That is to pray persistently. These people we love, God loves them too, but not every homecoming is overnight. Sometimes a person has to live in the far country for a very long time before they find their way home. I know many of us know stories personally of people who are far from God and someone held the torch for them for years before they came to Christ. Some of you are doing that right now for someone you desperately love. You see the potential in them. You have such a burden for their soul. And you have been praying night and day for years. And frankly, you're not seeing any change. You're not seeing any drawing near. Maybe you're tempted to give up. Maybe there is a statute of limitations, a shelf life, to how long you can hope for a person's salvation. Let me share with you a story I came across that so encouraged me. Many of you know this man, George Mueller. You just look at that face. I want to get to know this guy. He looks like such a nice, friendly, kind man. And his story is remarkable. He was a man so filled with faith and compassion. His story is full of times when God showed up in response to big faith and big prayers. And he loved people because he saw how much God loved them. In 1844, George Mueller began praying because of a burden for five particular individuals, five men he knew who were far from Christ, and he was desperate to see them saved, so he began to pray every single day, no matter where he is, what else he had going on, without one single interruption, he prayed for these five men every day of his life. After 18 months, the first man came to Christ, and he thanked God and began praying for the other four. After five more years of daily prayer, the second man came to Christ, and he thanked God and kept on praying for the other three. Six years after that, the third man came to Christ. This is almost 13 years now of daily prayer, and he thanked God and prayed for the other two. Towards the end of his life, an interviewer who had heard this story asked George Mueller, what about those last two guys? The story ends there. Whatever happened to them? How long did you pray for them? And this was George Mueller's response. I've been praying every day for 52 years for two men. Sons, of a friend of my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. How can it be otherwise? What a gift of unshakable faith George Mueller gave to those two men. I don't know if I can pray every day for 52 years for anything before I think, I'm a donkey. It's never going to happen. These guys are now old men set in their ways. There is no changing somebody now. Do you know someone like that who has been far from God, perhaps even hostile towards God for so long? You're tempted to give up because nothing is going to reach them. For 52 years without interruption, George Mueller prayed for these two men who were the sons of a friend he loved. He felt his friend's fatherly burden for his boys, and he would not give up praying. I think his prayers outlasted his friends. Well, the rest of the story is that shortly after George Mueller's death, those two men were gloriously saved in their old age. Glory to God. What a gift we give people when we pray persistently for their salvation. Truly believing that there's not a human being that we know who is permanently lost to God because he cannot reach them. I know it's not an easy burden to bear because we really love those people. And every day we have to bear the weight of reminder that they're still very far from God. Let me encourage you and challenge you this morning. Not to put your eyes on them or on yourself or even on the message, but on the heart of God, who will never give up on that person. They are not out of the reach of God. And if we will pray with commitment and persistence, even 52-year persistence, Listen to that faith. How can it be otherwise? Would God have me waste an entire life of prayer to discard two lost boys who are so loved? Do you believe that? I think God wants us to believe that. So I'm going to ask you to bow with me in prayer and invite God, maybe he doesn't have to work very hard at this, invite God to just bring to your mind right now The names and faces of a a person or two who you really love, who are very far from Christ today. And every time the conversation swings around towards faith, they walk out of the room, their countenance changes, they take that friendly posture of, you know, thanks, but you know that I don't really care about this stuff, please stop trying, it's not going to happen. And in your heart, you're so desperate for this person to know Jesus, to tap into some real power for their powerlessness, some real hope. You watch them stumble through life, having no one to turn to when they're burdened. And you know how impossible life has to be when no one's got your back when your friends abandon you and you're by yourself where do you go? who do you lean on when you can't even lean on yourself? and that's what it is like to be far from Jesus do you know that God is after that person? Not to join the team, but to discover real life. So as God leads into your mind that person, their face, their name, let's pray a simple prayer. God, renew my faith because they don't have faith and I'm starting to lose mine, renew my faith that this person will one day see you as Savior. Let's also pray, God, we are powerless to persuade. But in one moment, in the blink of an eye, you can flip a switch in a person's heart and they will see and believe and be changed they will surrender only God can do that so let's pray God where we are powerless show your power thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church